Hello and welcome to the You Matter to Christ podcast. Many of our listeners and guests call this podcast an experience because throughout the variety of extraordinary people we have on the show, you'll hear stories of overcoming trauma, hitting record-breaking business goals, people forgiving the unforgivable, and yes, even miracles that will shock and inspire you. On this show, you'll hear from professional athletes, entrepreneurs, and everyday people from all walks of life. Discover the profound truth that regardless of your background or circumstances, you matter deeply to the creator of the universe. You were made for a purpose, and you matter to Christ. Get ready for inspiring stories, personal testimonies, and uplifting messages that remind us of the unchanging love and grace available to all. And remember this, you matter to Christ. Hey everybody, Chad Burmeister, and I'm the host of the Living a Better Story podcast. And today I'm here with Robert Fukui with Power Couples by Design. He started the company three years ago or thereabouts. And the reason he started it is because he went to counseling with his now wife at the time they weren't married, I believe, and decided that we weren't even dating. They weren't even <laughs> dating at the time. Okay. So it was one month into, into almost dating, I suppose. And he just, he would come home from a counseling session pre-marriage and the, the, the kind of girlfriend <laughs> at the time would say, or not quite girlfriend would say, well, what happened in your meeting? And so finally, Robert said, why don't you just come along with me? So that's how power couples by design was created. And so Robert, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Uh, there's definitely more of that story, but that's, that's the foundation of kind of, you know, what, why we do what we do. Yeah. It's very cool. Well, I'm sure we're going to get into power couples by design and I'm sure that everyone listening, whether they're dating, whether they're married, whether they're remarried, etc., everybody can use uh, some honing up in this area because, you know, we all, it's relationships. We're all people. So this will be a really good conversation. Uh, before we get there, I want to ask you the question. And that is that I ask of every guest, which is let's go back to really early childhood, right? You're in Pasadena now. Where'd you grow up? What did you love to do? Like, what was your passion when you were five, six, seven earliest memories as a child? So I was actually born on the big island of Hawaii. So I'm an island boy. And then, uh, my dad was a pastor. Uh, so we traveled around a, a few islands before we actually made our way to San Jose, California when I was nine. And then that's pretty much where I grew up and went to school and college and all that. Um, you know, going back, you know, in, in Hawaii, I mean, I just loved anything outdoors, basically. I don't know if there's any favorite thing, just just being outdoors and playing, um, you know, whether it's going to the beach or riding bikes, playing basketball, uh, anything sport. I love I sports. Just growing up, that was my outlet because I was uh, pretty introverted and I, I still am. I still am, even though my wife would <laughs> say otherwise, but we always had a discussion about whether I'm really introverted or not. Um, I'm, a, I'm a highly functioning introvert, let's put it that way. Um, but uh, yeah, anything outdoors, I just love being outside. I mean, that was where I got to just kind of release and, and really show, I guess, my, um, 
my other side of of me when I'm when I'm not introverted in school and such. <laughs> yeah, love it. I I've, I've been you know I've always called myself that as well because I recharge in private and not in front of mm-hmm. people. And yeah. yet I'm I do love to be in, with people. Yeah. But I also need to recharge my batteries at you know back at the hotel at nine o'clock when everyone mm-hmm. else is out till eleven. Yeah. So in that sense, I view myself in the same way you do. Um, so thinking about those, I mean, I've been to Kauai and Maui and some of those, and I can just picture the swimming in the ocean, you know, did my first and only stand up on a longboard there back yeah. in Hawaii when I was nice. probably that age. And um, what, what, if you think of the, the thread between then and now of what you kind of, what your passion was, how do you, is there any tie between what you love to do then and what you're doing now? in life? Yeah. I mean, the first thing is I just love to solve problems. I mean, I love puzzles and stuff too. And I just love solving problems. And a lot of that came from the fact that um, my dad was a disciplinarian and he wasn't one of those people that you felt comfortable going to ask questions. In fact, he just felt like you shouldn't be asking questions. Um, and so I just, I was just kind of grew up just trying to figure it out for myself. Um, so even in class, I was, I was too shy to ask questions of the teacher. Um, so I would just listen to what other people were asking, what other kids were asking and the answers they're giving and then fill in the gaps, the rest of it, I was just figuring out for myself. So problem solving. And so that's why I love kind of, you know, my, my forte or my experience career wise has been in marketing and sales. And so I just love the strategic planning of it. And, um, and then also as I grew older and, you know, kind of came out of my shell, especially as I got into my profession, um, cause I worked for like three fortune 100 companies in my, you know, career before I was, I started consulting, uh, in our own business. Um, but I just had a thing about just helping people just want to see people excel. And so I was always willing to lend a, you know, a tip or share some thing. And, you know, in sales too, you know, I was never competitive with the other salespeople because especially, you know, to win awards, a lot of times you're, you're competing against your other salespeople in your company. So, but I never felt that kind of competition. I was just always willing to share what was working for me. And, um, and I just always wanted other people to do it. So, you know, whether it's just sitting for coffee with a buddy or if it was someone in sales, and I also did some sales training, even, you know, in my company. Um, and I was doing, you know, you know, interesting, you asked this question, I kind of sh- share with you earlier on, I kind of have the same approach to figuring, you know, you asked me questions about my childhood and my past and my experiences. That's how I kind of felt found what was going to be my brand, my niche, as I started consulting? I sat down with my wife. We were in Pismo Beach on the cliff overlooking the beach. And I said, let's write a one-page story about ourselves. Just write whatever you want about your experience from childhood on. And then we'll also, and then we'll trade and then make notes to each other about what you see that you didn't write in each other's story. Um, so basically from that story, you started seeing some of the common denominators and the one, there's a phrase she put in there was developing people. It wasn't exactly that. It was something to the effect of like the mentor. Mm-hmm. Right? And it struck out because I didn't put that down for myself. And she put that down, right? And then, because, you know, sometimes other people see you more clearly than you see yourself. Mm-hmm. So I asked her why she put that down. And so she told me, you know, you're always wanting to help. You're always there to coach and mentor or whatever, whether it's formally, informally. Um, and then, and then it dawned, as she was sharing that, it dawned on me that, I got this national award at my last company, Bristol Myers Squibb, and it wasn't a sales award. They called it the Core Behaviors Award. So after, before the sales award presentations, they gave out these core behavior awards. It's based on the core values of the company. And one of them was develops people. 
and I won that award. I mean, this is a national award. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there's, so you're, I mean, I don't know, 500 salespeople. And I get this award and I'm looking at it, this crystal. In fact, mm-hmm. I keep it on my desk. <laughs> and I always wondered, I looked, you know, you know, you're, you're trying to be gracious and I go, oh, thank you. But I'm thinking, I don't get this award for me <laughs> because in, in our company, we were, we're pretty independent. We, we worked for our office at home. We were field based where our office was at home. We rarely had physical interactions with other colleagues unless we had a sales meeting, which was about once a quarter. But I get this award and I'm thinking, well, I'm not a manager, right? And I don't, I'm not in a position to really kind of mentor people. And so I thought it was interesting. So, um, and they kind of share with me how they always see how I'm always willing to help, okay? But when Kaylee said that about me and I was like, hey, that's a, that award. And then I was thinking, it's interesting how, you know, of all the sales awards and marketing awards that I won, and we got that one, I was like, interesting. So time to your question. Mm-hmm. I love problem solving. So as a, as a business consultant, we're problem solving, we're doing strategic plans and trying to fix, you know, what's, why, why are you not profitable right now? What's the issue and just problem solve. But it's not about, for me, it's not just about consulting and creating a plan, but for me, it's really about developing the person because I feel that in order for them to really execute well, that plan really, they have to own it. If it only come, if they only do it because I drew it up, then yeah, you'll, ha- you'll have some, you'll, you'll see success, but not to the level if they own it. So it's always important for me, for them, for me to make sure I mentor them and coach them. So they really understand the process and understand why we came up with this decision, this, this plan. Yeah, that's cool. I'm much more of a coach and I, I'm much more of a coach, I guess, than, than I am like, that's all I got on both. I guess I wear both hats. So strategic planning, but really developing the person. It's interesting. One of the events we do at Living a Better Story that's coming up here shortly is everybody goes around and they, they stand on these squares. So 10 years, what were you doing at 10, then 20, then 30, you know, each of the years in your life and the, the ones that really jump out at you. So it's like, hey, I'm, I'm 18, I get a car or 16, I, I get married, I have kids, I, all that's all those things that happen in life. And you talk about your history. Well, then everybody goes around the room and say, what did you hear about the good, the bad, and the ugly and all of it? And the reflection that you see in the mirror from all these 25 people in the room or however many are there, it's just like you're saying, the mentoring, the coaching, you start to, like mine was, you're a giver. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, what? (laughs) A giver? And they're like, yeah, like you funded this event for most people that attended. They're like, I couldn't have afforded this. And I'm like, well, doesn't everybody do that? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and so we always, we always take for granted our gift. We do right? take our gift for granted. <laughs> and then I'm competitive. So my dad gave me a hockey stick from when I was eight years old the other day. And I held it. And I'm like, wow, I remember just competing. And not just competing to win. But once you learn the tricks, showing other people how to win using the same tricks. Mm-hmm. And you're like, Oh, you know, and it all comes rushing back. Cause when you're a kid, you know what your life should be about. And then life happens to you. Yeah. Right. And that's what I like to peel back in these things. So with that, the next big question is um, what challenges have you faced in life? And you, you know, you can pick a small, medium or large, whatever you're comfortable sharing, because a lot of times we think it's a mountain, right? We look at it. We're like, that is a hugest mountain I can ever imagine. And then you, you get around it, you get under it, you get over it, and you made it to the other side. 
Mm-hmm. Is there something that you're comfortable sharing that was tough for you at the time? Yeah. And, you know, every time you get questions like this, I always thought, I mean, a while back, I was, I would, I would think, I was like, gosh, you know, I don't know if I'm just blind, but I was like, I lived a kind of a blessed life. Right. I mean, we didn't, we didn't have a lot of money growing up, but at the same time, I, I wasn't for want. I didn't have, you know, and, and uh, you know, nothing bad really happened. I mean, yeah, you know, I had challenges in school, you know, sports, that's up, but I was, you know, you just persevere and you overcome. And so a lot of it is probably not really thinking about the challenges I had because I was just so, I guess the way I was raised, my dad, we kind of Japanese dad, we just suck it up and go. So you, you kind of don't even think about the challenges that you're going through. Right? You really have to kind of sit back and really think about it. And, and own up to it. But you, you, when you just go through it, you just, you just go through it and you go, okay, you know, it's all right. But there was one that just knocked me off my keister for sure. And I share with you right before we went on was I was married to my childhood sweetheart. We met when I was uh, 12 years old, she was 10 at a church camp. And we met, we, uh, we'd see each other once a year. She lived in Los Angeles. I lived in San Jose. So at 10, 12 years old, you know, we were we couldn't really commute to see each other. <laughs> so yeah. so, we, so yeah, you can't places. really take a train or hit <laughs> yeah, back for six hours. Down yeah, my dad wasn't going to do that. But um, so once a year, we'd see each other at church camp. And then as we got older, um, you know, we started kind of having these little summer romances at church camp, basically. Um, but then I didn't see her after, you know, once we got into high school, she stopped coming to church camp. And then I kind of lost touch, but we kept in touch by letters, like snail mail, not email, but snail mail, right, back in the day and the occasional phone calls. And, uh, but she came up for my college graduation. And uh, when she came up, uh, we just kind of like hit it off, just rekindled everything. And we just decided to um, date, let's go for it. Let's start dating. Three years later, we got married and uh, we were married for five years. And it was just like a, you know, it's just kind of an amazing story. I never thought I would end up marrying her, um, but you know, there's a whole story there, but uh, you know, obviously just childhood sweetheart. And uh, unfortunately five years uh, actually, almost 20 years ago, um, five days before Christmas, she was on her way to work in downtown LA. We're already down here in Pasadena at the time. And she kind of gets caught up in some slick roads, spun out, uh, wrapped her forerunner, wrapped around a light pole, and she just passed at the scene. So um, never had that chance to really say goodbye, other than the fact that I did say goodbye that morning. Um, It was one of those it was an, I always remember this, it was an interesting morning because I mean, not too unusual other than the fact that, you know, it was her last day at work before she was going to be off for the break for Christmas. Um, I was on my first day on the break. So I wasn't going to head, I headed out to golf and she was going on to work. Um, we had tandem parking in our condo, so I had to pull out to let her out. So, you know, we hugged, we kissed, said goodbye. And then I got him, I remember getting in my car and I was pulling back and she was just still standing there looking at me and pause. I was like, and I almost stopped to say, what, did you need something? But I just kept backing up. And then she got in her car and left. I just always remember that pause. And I was like, that was odd. I've never, that's, that was never happened before. Um, but anyways, all it say is literally 10 minutes down the road. And they say, statistically, <laughs> that's when these accidents and, and fatal accidents happen. It's, it's like within five miles from home. Um, she gets the car accident. I didn't find out till I got back from golf that evening the coroner was waiting at the house to tell me the story or tell me what happened. So that, that threw me for a loop. Of course, it was just, um, just, you know, you don't see that one coming. Um, she wasn't sick, obviously, and all that. So it was just, you know, I leave that morning, I come back and all of a sudden she's gone. Um, so of course I went through all the phases of grief within a, a few hours and, 
denial, anger, sadness, all that kind of stuff. And, um, but I remember, you know, I, and I just remember like the next day, it was a little, yeah, it was the next morning, uh, the friend, some, some key friends that I grew up with in San Jose, they were at my front door that morning. And I just remember like, okay, you know, now you know where your, who your friends are, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, five hour drive, you know, literally a drop of a hat, literally. I mean, they found out that the evening before, um, they all of a sudden the doorbell rings and there they are. Um, and so, you know, that was, that was really cool, of course. Um, and I remember, you know, getting ready for the funeral um, and I was writing out the eulogy and I was just sitting there and I was like, and I wasn't really following the Lord at that time, even though I was raised a pastor's kid, but I guess did it the standard, you know, prodigal son thing <laughs> as a PK. Uh, but I just remember sitting there at, my, at this very desk, actually, and uh, just typing out my eulogy, the eulogy. And um, I'm like, okay, Lord, they say, you know, um, things happen for a reason and you have a better plan. Um, so I said, uh, better be really good. <laughs> because right now right. this sucks. Because <laughs> right now this sucks. Right. You just um, ended the movie short. Yeah, so exactly. I mean, you know, we here. were we were planning, and, and part of the backstory too was her mom had passed away two years earlier, um, you know, kind of unexpectedly. Her dad had prostate cancer, so we were expecting him to go, but he ended up going before after her mom did. But he passed away six months before my wife got in the car accident. And she was kind of, my wife was kind of the caretaker of the family and really took care of the, the some of the legal matters and all that. And literally, all those things were tidied up. All the legal matters, financial matters are tidied up. And then she gets in this car accident. Um, so it was just like, we were like, you know, looking for the future. I mean, we were looking at the future because she was, we're so concentrated on taking care of her dad when he was sick. I mean, literally he died in our, our place. Um, and it was like, okay, now we can start to move forward again. And it was like that. And then all of a sudden, boom, this happens. Um, so that, you know, I, and I always, we always tried to make sure we didn't take our marriage for granted. And we always were the type to have fun, even though we save for the future, but we wanted to have fun, and enjoy life while we were young, because I've heard so many stories about people waiting to the retire and then they get sick. <laughs> so they wait, they work all this time to retirement, then to enjoy life in retirement, but then they get sick and they can't enjoy life. Yeah. Right. So we didn't want that to happen. So, so I, we, I sense a level of peace when you're sharing enjoy would be the two first words that come to mind yeah. of your experience pre-living now, right? Mm -hmm. it, for anyone listening to the show who might be faced with a similar situation or, you know, at the time it was on a pain scale, I'm sure it was 11 out of 10. Mm -hmm. And yet now you're able to, to be okay with it. I guess the two things that I'm thinking about here is one in the time, how do you, how do you put one foot in front of the other? And like you said, I go through those phases because everybody goes through the denial oh, yeah. and anger and all of that, oh, yeah. but how'd you yeah. get through it? And then how are you so at peace with everything now? You know, I, I didn't, I didn't really experience the anger um, so much. I mean, it was one of those things where I, I, well, I guess part of my benefit when I was grieving was the fact that I walk with my wife through her grieving process with her mom and her dad. So I started to see in real time, all the phases of grief, right? You, I mean, you hear about the phases of grief and that's, they're absolutely true, <laughs> right? But the thing is, you just don't know when and when at what time that's gonna happen. Um, so, you know, I was ready for those emotions. So that, I think that was really helpful. Um, 
the, the, the other thing is what I just started sharing was we, we didn't want to take our life for granted when we got married. And yeah, we had our ups and downs like most marriages do. But at the end of the day, I mean, we, were no, we knew we were for, for each other and we were going to live life as much as best we can and enjoy life while we had it. Even though we're, we're being prudent financially and probably for the future, but at the same time, we have to make sure that we're enjoying life now and enjoying each other. So I think that's what was part of what was what was comforting to me at that even at that time even even in that first week I was definitely you know grieving I was crying you know my, my family's here and but I'm crying in the shower and that kind of stuff but at the same time there was a level of peace because I knew I didn't have regrets um except our marriage wasn't perfect but we did the things that we sought out to do and we lived life and we enjoyed life and we enjoyed each other um and with that I said I don't have any regrets. You don't have, I don't have any, oh, I wish we would have while she was alive. Mm-hmm. Of course there's things because that we were going to do later, but I mean, you know, we only have so much time in a day in the year. Right. But at the, at the same time, we did what we, we wanted to do. Um, the other thing was just, you know, grieving. What, one of the things I learned with my wife grieving is you got to be able to talk about it. You know, some of the worst, um, some of the worst advice people give, is keep yourself busy and take your mind off of it, right? Worst advice ever, because you can you can bury your emotions, but those emotions are gonna find its way up to the surface, but it's gonna be in a way you can't control and in a way you don't even understand what it is. Why do you have this outburst with a customer or with a, an employee or a manager or whatever? They're, these emotions will come out, but they're gonna come out in ways you don't understand and, and you can't control versus just let the emotions come out when they're coming out. You know, when you're feel the grief, just let it go. And I had some good people to talk to about that. You know, I didn't have a counselor or anything, but I had some people that really cared and listened. And I never shied away from talking about the story, about talking what about happened. And yeah, it was painful, but the more I shared it, uh, the easier it got. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, just, I was just at peace, also I was at peace with the, the pain because I said, you know, if I didn't love her, I wouldn't be hurting so bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so I just came at peace with the pain. It wasn't, you know, I didn't try to avoid it. Um, I just let it happen. And uh, there'd be times I'm driving down a freeway and, you know, literally it was like eight months after the death and I'm driving down a freeway and I just started crying uncontrollably, you know, and you're not thinking, I wasn't thinking about it consciously and all that, but it just happened. And so of course I knew what was going on, but all that to say was, you know, one was don't take life for granted with your spouse and do as much as you can and, you know, enjoy each other's company as much as you can while you can, because literally when you hear the cliche, you know, tomorrow's not guaranteed and it's absolutely true. Um, the next 10 minutes aren't guaranteed. Um, and then grief, allow, allow the grief to happen. Otherwise it's going to come out in ways that are really destructive to you mm-hmm. and other relationships mm-hmm. around you. We had some neighbors in when we were in Southern California in Foothill Ranch who lost their son a couple of years ago. You may have heard it on the Orange County News. Um, 19 year old boy, which is now my son's age. And he was murdered in the park wow. in, in uh, Foothill Ranch. Oh, wow. And so it's interesting because that glance that you were able to get that you talked about, like I can tell that that's, that's just a neat experience that you have, right? That you have ingrained in your memory forever. Yeah. This this kid came home from college and 
got to spend a week with his parents cooking food. Uh, and that's what he loved to do is cook. So he had multiple glances like that and multiple interactions with his family. And they, they are able to hang on to that and the memory and the, the good times. And, um, you know, that was, that was a, that was a tough situation, but their family has just been so they've, they did the grieving, they did the work. Mm -hmm. And now they're all about helping other people and changing the world, right? They created a movement called blaze it forward as a result of that, like pay it forward. Cool. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. Wow. It's a great story. Okay. A couple more questions. Um, Let's go into the marriage side because obviously you're now remarried and how, how many years have you been married for now? Just celebrated 15 about a couple of weeks ago. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. That's a big one. We're at 19 going, I, right. maybe I'm, we're at 20. Yeah, we are at 20. <laughs> at the <laughs> time of this recording, right? we happen to be at 20. <laughs> yeah. Tracy, you know, I'm going to delete this part of it. Yeah, exactly. Podcast. We'll edit it out. <laughs> we'll edit that part out. <laughs> right. Talk about losing points with the significant other on that situation. That's right. You're within a year. You always got to be plus minus one year. You're good. Yeah, right. And 21 <laughs> February. So that's pretty, pretty simple math. <laughs> and awesome. 01 February. Um, let's get into that a little bit because obviously your business is power couples by design. You sit across the table or the couch or the zoom video, I assume over the last yeah. couple of years yeah. with another couple, but both of you are on the call. Um, most entrepreneurs that I talk to have a hard time balancing burning the candle at both ends yep. and then working, you know, and then being at home and, and it's, it's two different games. I think they feel yep. like they're playing. How do you, how do you counsel people to, you know, make sure their marriage is where it should be? Um, So I always talk about priorities, maintaining priorities, right? Faith, family, finance, finance, being the business, your career, whatever, in our case, business, because we're, we're consulting, um, coaching uh, married couples in business. And that's the power struggle is maintaining those priorities. And what does that look like? Right. And when you hear about work-life balance, what does that look like? It's, I mean, it's obviously not a 50-50. You're not putting 50% of time in the marriage and 50% of time in the business. But how do you maintain your priorities of God and family over the business? Um, you know, because a lot of times the as the business, you know, whether you're doing good financially or not, a lot of times the, the time spent in the business overtakes quality time with, in the family and the marriage. And for a lot of entrepreneurs, they, it's hard for them to turn that off. <laughs> being on the go, you know, being achiever and, you know, cause a lot of it is cause you've kind of dealt with so many hard times. You just want to make sure this, this thing's humming right. And so part of our challenge is helping them know how to work smarter, not harder in the business that you can scale the business with a how you can 10 X, two X, 10 X, hundred X, the business without putting two X, 10 X, hundred X more time into the business. You know, we heard the term work smarter, but not harder. But when things get tough, the first thing to do is put more time into it as opposed to reevaluating what's not working. And let's fix that. And so trying to give them more time back into life with, with, the, with, the, with the marriage with the spouse and the family by helping them structure the business so it's working more efficiently. So they get a little more time back. And then in the marriage, know that the time spent, the quality time spent with your spouse and your kids is going to provide an exponential return. It is definitely going to have a positive impact on the business, but it's going to have an exponential return because you're going to be more fulfilled in life. I mean, what good is it if your business is humming along, but 
your wife is just like checked out and your kids hate you, right? Because you missed all the baseball games and all that stuff, right? So how do you prioritize that? And that takes a lot of strict boundaries between business and, and marriage. So, you know, here going back to, you know, why I love what I do and how we got to this point is because it's blending, you know, we talked about the counseling piece that we did to, for two years before we got married. So that's been the foundation of how we help them, you know, develop better communication and resolve conflict in a healthy way. But also on the business side, because I, you know, grew up in my career, I was in Fortune 100 companies, I knew what working smarter, not harder looked like. Um, and a lot of typ typical business, they just learn as they go. They're, they're good at a skill and the craft and they, they start charging for it. And then they just learn as they go. And that's why they end up working harder, not smarter, because they don't know any better, right? So I was formally trained in marketing and sales and that was my degree. And then I grew up in some of the best environments to really learn on the job. And I, I saw what working smarter looks like. And so as you look at the typical small business owner in a typical marriage, most people have never been trained to do either of those well. I mean, nobody goes, hardly anybody goes, they might take like a little course at church or something for premarital counseling, but it's not, it really isn't. <laughs> it's yeah, not good enough. I, Let me know, tell you. Our guidance in, in uh, <laughs> Southern California was something that I still hang on to, but it's kind of interesting. And it's, you can do anything for any amount of time, as long as you know why. So it's like, hey, you're going to face challenges in your marriage and you might need to do things for six months, two years, they may suck, but just know the why behind the what. And so it's fair advice, but like, that's it. That was, that was the nugget that we were taught. <laughs> and it turns out a handful of times that's not enough. <laughs> no. And the, and the crux of it is not too many people were grew up in a family environment that knew how to really resolve conflict. Well, Mm-hmm. And so that's what holds a lot of marriages. That's what creates a lot of issues in a marriage because there's disagreements about something, whether it's finances, raising kids, buying a house, whatever. And they get in these arguments and some things can resolve, some things don't. We've never been given tools of how to really resolve conflict well in a healthy way, where it's to each other's you know, satisfaction versus, bearing, versus saying, oh, we're just not gonna talk about this issue anymore because it's just too hot of a topic, right? That's not good. And on the business side, it's kind of the same thing. Like I said, most business owners are not, have not been raised and formally trained how to run a business. So the gaps I see in the business side are just fundamentals. Sure. I mean, sometimes Correct. just documenting uh, as policy and procedure is probably a, that, I mean, even, even, yeah, whether it's marketing operations, finance, whatever, there's always fundamental gaps mm -hmm. in that. I mean, I, I'm, so, I'm, I'm still surprised how I can run it to, across a business that still doesn't have some kind of booking system. That's literally still going based on just receipts <laughs> and wow. not even an Excel spreadsheet. You'd be surprised. Wow. Um, yeah, I can't. You know, something like that. So I can't take anything for granted. And so, of course, marketing, that's a challenge for a lot of business. And then even operationally, how to hire, fire, train, you know, how to build a succession plan. I mean, there's so many fundamentals that most business owners haven't been trained into. So both on the marriage side and the business side, it really comes down to the fundamentals of how to do those things well. Wow. And so I'm blending, you know, what we learned in counseling for two years, as well as, you know, our own trial and error. And then what I learned in the big corporate environment, and then bring that kind of stuff, bring that kind of knowledge and wisdom into the small business environment. You know, I get a kick sometimes because they said, oh, that just works in big corporations won't work here. I said, the reason why they're big, they didn't yeah. start big. 
they started it when every they were single little. bit I worked yeah. for started just like them. <laughs> That's right. That's cool. Why? I mean, they... I haven't found too many counseling organizations who can handle both sides of the equation. Because if you go to a founder and CEO and you're like, look, if I can give you back 15% of your week and you're right now, you know, not hanging out with your wife as much as you should be on date nights or whatever else, that's a good, you know, founder could be like, yeah, I'd do that. And then you go find them the 15% and here you go. There's your, there's your time back. Mm-hmm. That's a really compelling thing. Um, final question. I, I, this has been an awesome talk. So thank you for being vulnerable and sharing. I think people who hear this going through tough times, you know, you, you have to, I mean, hear what, hear what we said today, right? It's, it's important to understand that there is, there is another side and you have to push forward and, and grieve if you're going through a situation. Um, we talked a little bit about faith and you said faith, family, and finance is third, I think, right? Faith is first. What does that mean to you? When did you, you know, as a pastor's child, uh, I similar prodigal son, I'm the firstborn and I'm, I strayed for a while, had a mohawk when I was in high school for a year, a nose ring and three earrings. <laughs> <laughs> and you strung them together, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> So, um, but you came back. What, what do you think it was, you know, about being the sheep that strayed off on the hillside to bring you back? Like what, what role does faith play in your journey and how'd you get there? Uh, well, faith has always been huge. I mean, just growing up, I mean, my dad was a great dad, great pastor and, you know, both him and my mom definitely ingrained, you know, God and, and, and faith into, into my life. So even, even when I strayed, I really didn't stray that far. It was really, I just wanted to see the other side and have a good time and party and stuff like that. But I never, I never lost my faith in God or who, that God was real. And, you know, a big part of it is because, you know, when people have a real personal experience with the Lord, it never leaves you. And when I was nine years old, nine, 10 years old, when we first moved to San Jose, um, I had one of those Samuel moments where the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night, calling my name, audible voice, the whole nine yards. I thought it was Samuel, thought it was um, um, Eli. I thought it was my mom calling me. So I actually woke up, went to my parents' bedroom, uh, looked in the bedroom and they're both fast asleep. And so I went back to bed and then Lord woke me up, called my name. And I'm like, oh, I know the story. <laughs> so, so I said, speak Lord, for I'm listening. And so he just, um, I guess gave me a download. I, I don't, Unfortunately, I don't recall what he said exactly because note I had to note to self and also note to everybody else. When the Lord wakes you up in the middle of the night, get out of bed because I didn't get out of bed. I just kind of laid there still. And you know how you're still laying in bed. You just kind of fall back asleep. <laughs> and then all I heard was like the Peanuts character voice. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> so that's what I heard. <laughs> But, you know, I woke up next morning and told my mom, God spoke to me, God spoke to me. And, you know, she didn't, she didn't doubt me for a moment just because of how I was beaming. And I, I just knew it, you know, without a shadow of a doubt. So, you know, having that experience, I just never doubted who God, that God was real. Now, meeting my current wife, Kaylee, that's basically who brought me back to the Lord as far as actually really starting to live it out. Um, she was very adamant about and she was, it was interesting. She was, you know, she knew I wasn't going to church at the time, but she knew my story. And so she just slowly started to kind of weave things in. Like as, as we started dating longer, she says, well, you know, yeah, I really like it if you would pray at, at mealtimes. So I said, okay, I can do that. 
And then she says, well, you know, if you're going to come out and visit me on a Sunday, it'd be nice if we went to my church. Okay, I can do that. (laughs) So slowly but surely, she started kind of getting, wriggling back in. And then uh, after we got married, had a, we went to our church, uh, went to Israel. And they they announced the the trip to Israel. And my wife was like, Kaylee's like, oh, I've always wanted to go to Israel. So I'm like, all right, let's go. And that was, that was uh, my first, that was my rededication. And my first real, I think, um, um, acceptance of the Lord at the Jordan River, because we had a baptism at the Jordan River. And that was, you know, when I was young and my dad did it, it was more an obligation than it was really my choice sort of thing. But this was the first, this is me, this is my acknowledgement of the Lord and getting baptized. And um, from that point on, it just, just changed. And I, I always, even when I had my moments before I came back to the Lord, I always, you know, I always still live my life very biblically. Um, you know, I knew the lines that you don't cross. And even in the corporate environment, I still kind of led by really biblical values and principles, even you know, I wasn't really quite walking the Lord. So I knew those things were important and those things matter. And I also knew and I saw that it was very beneficial, not in just my own faith, but it was actually beneficial in my career and now my business. You know, I, I taught for about six years, a course on kingdom business at our church. And, and when I got this curriculum, I was like, yeah, exactly. This is exactly, you know, how I saw in the corporate environment. I saw how even with these companies, and they're obviously not all Christians and the CEO probably wasn't Christian, but I can see whenever things were going well with the company, they were living out biblical principles. And when things went south, they violated them. Mm, that's awesome. It reminds me of a phrase that I came up with. There's no ROI for drinking because, and I want to compare that to what you just said. There is an ROI for faith. Yeah. So if you, you know, there's this app that I did at the end of last year called 75 hard and you do 75 days, two workouts a day, 45 minutes each, a gallon of water, read 10 pages in a book. Wow. And oh yeah, by the way, no alcohol for 75 days. So by day 75, you're like, invincible, right? You're like back in high school, the six pack abs are starting to come back. Maybe not quite, but you at least know they're (laughs) under there. (laughs) And, um, but, but your mind is so on fire. And, and, and I'm like, during that time, I'm just like, think about it. What's the ROI? Like, Hey, I'll enjoy a good glass of wine from time to time. But you know, when you get in two, three glasses of wine, now you got a headache the next day, you're a little lethargic the next day. But your point about the opposite, and it's not really heads or tails, I guess, so it's different, but I don't think most people think about that there is an ROI to practicing faith. Mm -hmm. Right. Man, that's deep. I love that. Oh, yeah. I need to write a blog on that. We should co-author it. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do no, it. Absolutely. And, you know, I was being interviewed last week from a group in Bulgaria about this. And, you know, people feel challenged about living out their faith, uh, living out biblical principles in their career or in their job, their business, because they think they're at a disadvantage to the rest of the competitive market. Um, and I said, the difference between secular thinking versus biblical thinking is number one, Secular thinking is very short-term. It's what do I get now? Biblical thinking or God's thinking, I mean, you just know who God is. He's looking down the future. So he's connecting dots. What you do now has ramifications tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. You may not see it, but the typical person is just going for the now, or the typical business owner. 
so when you adopt biblical principles, it's really about long-term thinking. So you may not, you may quote unquote, lose out right today, but you're going to gain in the long run. It's kind of like tortoise, tortoise and a hare, mm. right? For so sure. God's like a tortoise. It's just like, I'm going for the long-term. I'm going for legacy. I'm going to impact not just people here now, but generations in the future, right? So what you're positioning your business for now is really setting up a foundation for generational impact two, three generations from now. And so you got to establish your business that way. And it's not just about how do I make the dollar now? How to make, how to get the profitability this month, this year, but what do I need to do to set myself up success for the long term? Yeah. The, there was a, at the fire pit that I told you about earlier, Dr. Jim Wilder was invited one day and he's a neurotheologist. So like just super wow, powered, amazing person. He, <laughs> he also, his, his father was a pastor and they did, um, you know, foreign overseas trips and pastored people all around the world. And he had questions as a young kid, does God exist? So him and a friend got together and prayed and said, hey, let's just test God here. We'll pray and we'll compare notes to the next day. So they did it for like a month. And, and this download, just like when you were talked to by Charlie Brown, <laughs> this, they compared notes and it was the same dang thing every night. And so he was like, okay, he exists. Now let me go spend the rest of my life and learn about the neuro side of psychology around it. So he came to the fire pit a couple months ago and said, in the Old Testament, there's 614 simultaneous laws that one must consider when making a choice. And so that's two to the power of 614. So when we make choices, are we optimizing for today, tomorrow, forever? Are we optimizing for me, my parents, my kids, my wife? There's, there's too many variables. And so he said the only proper way to optimize, he, there was like a two-part answer. The, um, the first was, there's just no way you can do it. So it's kind of the, what would Jesus do? What would God do, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have to try to go, all right, if I'm looking down on the situation, here's maybe what God would probably do. But then he, the second part was curious because it maps with what you just said. Optimize my decision for the end of time. Mm -hmm. So I think about if I'm really doing that and I have X number of years left on the planet, whether it's a day, a week, a month, an hour, or 50 years, if my next motions don't optimize for the here and now, but you think about what could happen in hundred years or 500 years or 5,000 years, mm -hmm. how would you make different decisions today? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's hard to put that mind, yeah. mental mindset on, but it's yeah. been living in my subconscious now for a couple months and it's a pretty neat place to live. <laughs> one, one thing I always draw people back to, especially when they're, they're Christians and talk about legacy is I said, you look at the leaders in the Bible, like Moses and David, the promises that God gave him them and, re, and kind of, kind of unleashed the vision. They didn't fulfill in their lifetime, but the next generation did. So the business they plant, he's planted in your, in your palm of your hand to steward right now is not just for you. And the ultimate fulfillment isn't going to happen in your lifetime anyway. I mean, all the companies I've worked for, you know, we're eight, 10 generations removed from the, the founders. And we're a lot different now than we were when they started. But you lay, you lay the floor, your, your ceiling is obviously you've heard this, you, this, your ceiling is going to be the next generation's floor. And that's what you're preparing for. You, you want to prepare for the next generation to hand, it, hand a torch over so they can see the fulfillment of God's promise on this business. Because your business 
does have an impact and does have meaning. And That's just amazing. know that. What a great conversation. Robert Fukui, founder, co-founder, I shall say, yeah. Power Couples by Design is the website. It's Power Couples by Design, just like it sounds. So check it out. There's a download your steps now. We'll show you how to have a thriving marriage and a successful business. So it looks like you can get the cheat sheet right there. Yep. And I'm assuming that once you start getting into the cheat sheet, you may need a mentor. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I think I'm going to download the cheat sheet. And within the next couple of weeks, we will be in touch. Sounds good, man. Yeah. Great to get to know you, Robert. Um, good thanks everybody for joining and listening in on today's Living a Better Story podcast. What an awesome conversation. I'm so happy and excited to go to the Living a Better Story retreat and continue the dialogue as we go. All right, Robert, we'll catch you on the flip side. Appreciate you. All right, God bless. Thank you for joining us on the You Matter to Christ podcast. We hope this journey has reminded you of the incredible truth that your life holds immense value and significance to Christ. As you go about your day, may you carry the assurance that no matter what you face, you are deeply cherished and loved. Remember, you matter to Christ. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with others who may benefit from this message. Stay tuned for more transformative episodes where we continue to explore the depth of God's love and grace. Until next time, remember that you are not alone. Christ's love is with you, guiding and strengthening you every step of the way. May your life be filled with hope, purpose, and the knowledge that you matter to Christ. Christ.